Okay. Uh, when many of us think of wealth, we think, oh, this is going to be a message for rich people, right? So, and you might think, like, I'm not rich, so, you know, I, I don't really need to listen. But realistically, according to the Washington Post in 2018, the average American is in the top 10% of the world when it comes to being wealthy. In fact, the average yearly salary worldwide in 2018 was a whopping $2,100 yearly. Do you make more than that? Okay, that's, that's worldwide. So basically, for our purposes today, we're going to take this word wealth and really just kind of apply it to money because we all have a degree of wealth as American uh, citizens. So when we read the Proverbs, we can really use this term money interchangeably, wealth, because we all have a degree of that wealth. So first, what we're going to do is we're going to look at four things the Proverbs teach that wealth can do. And then we're going to learn what God desires us to do with our wealth. So four things that wealth can do. Then we're going to learn what God desires us to do with our wealth. So the first is this. Wealth can be a result of diligence. Proverbs 12, 27 says, Whoever slothful, slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. I mean, we obviously know that being lazy and not working doesn't work out for us. And the main way that we build and earn wealth or, or build and earn money is being diligent. Now, by definition, diligence means having or showing care and conscientiousness in one's work or duties. So this proverb is not necessarily saying all you have to do is work hard and you'll gain wealth. It's actually teaching that care and concern for doing a good job can gain wealth. Okay, there's a difference between working hard and care and concern. So here's how it works. In most jobs and careers, if we have care and concern for what we're doing, employers notice the job gets done properly, you'll see results, and many times those results end up in earnings, right? So the more diligent you are, the likelihood of promotions and advancements there are. I mean, you and I all know people, maybe in your, in your job, in your career, that, you know, they might work hard, but they really don't care that much. They just come, kind of check all the boxes and leave. But then there's the workers, maybe that's you. Then there's the workers that have a care and concern and are always looking. So a goal with our work is to continue to think to reason, to critically look at the work you're doing and see how you can do it better. That's what keeps work exciting. Have you ever noticed that? That's what, if you just go to work and you're just checking the boxes, your work is not exciting, probably not that fulfilling. But if you go to work looking and having care and concern and critically thinking, how can I do this better? How can this be better? How can I actually add value to what I'm doing, now all of a sudden your work becomes different, doesn't it? Because you're thinking, you're reasoning, you're helping, you're advancing. What happens with many people is they just start to put in the time. They just start to put in the time. Maybe you're there right now. You're just kind of not really feeling it at work. You're just like, I just get up and I go and I put in the time. Tomorrow's Monday. My alarm clock's going to go and I'm just going to get on the grind. And I hope that Friday comes real quick because I'm living for the weekend, right? Many people are in that boat. Well, why not change the way that you look at how you work? 
Why not critically think about things? Why not think and reason? Why not be diligent and having care and concern and, and looking at your work in a different way? The next proverb I want to look at under this topic is Proverbs 14.24. The crown of the wise is their wealth, but the folly of fools brings folly. Okay? The crown of the wise is, the wealth, is their wealth. The folly of fools brings folly. Wise people tend to be wise with the money they earn. Have you noticed this? Wise people tend to be wise with the money they earn. You've all heard stories of lottery winners that lost all their money within years of the win. Have you heard this? There's like, if you Google it, there's like all these articles about all these people that lost millions and millions of dollars that they won. Do you want to know what the reason is? Well, I want to be careful not to offend anybody here. But here's the thing. The lottery is a fool's game. So who plays the lottery? <laughs> like I said, I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> wise people earn. Wise people invest. And generally, wise people make wise decisions with their money. That's what happens. So... The crown of the wise is their wealth, okay? They're applying the wisdom that they learn so that they can continue on. Next, wealth can provide a degree of security. Now, Proverbs 10, 15 says, A rich man's wealth is a strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. Now, there's no doubt that being financially free has many benefits. There's no doubt that like, if, you're, if, you, if you're in that stage of life where maybe your house is paid off and you wrote that last mortgage payment and you were like, wow, I feel kind of like a burden has been lifted. I, I'm done with this. When your debts are paid off, you do not have the stress of paying those debts. If you have a stressful job that makes you miserable, guess what? You have the freedom to say, you know what? Maybe I'm going to shift jobs because I don't need as much money as I used to need because all those debts are paid off. So now all of a sudden you're free because the cycle is this, right? We wage all this debt on ourselves. And then what happens is we basically get to the point where we have to stay in a certain job because we need all that money to pay off all our debts. So if you have a stressful job that makes you miserable, you have the freedom to look for a different job when you don't have those debts anymore. When something happens in your life that will take money to fix, you actually have the money to fix it, right? When you're financially free. So there's a certain degree of security and wealth, right? There's a certain degree. I mean, I'd be lying to you if I said there's no security and wealth because there is a certain degree of security. But the truth is, this can be a false sense of security. Have you ever noticed that? It can be a false sense of security. Watch us. See, it says in Proverbs 10, 15, a rich man's wealth is a strong city. Then it says the poverty of the poor is their ruin. That's pretty self-explanatory. But watch, I'm going to change to Proverbs 18, 11. The beginning of Proverbs 18, 11 is the same phrase. A rich man's wealth is a strong city. But then it says this, like a high wall in his what? imagination, okay? Did you ever have an imaginary friend? They're not real, right? 
They're not. You might think they are at some points in your life when you're like five, but here's, they're not real. So notice this proverb is the same as the last one in the beginning, but the last phrase says, like a high wall in his imagination. This could mean that in our minds, when we have wealth or money in the bank, we think we are secure, but really there are plenty of things that money brings no security to. There are plenty of things that money brings no security to, like our character. Okay, you can't buy character, right? Like our health. Sometimes there's a health problem that all the money in the world is not going to solve. Like our relationships. You can't pay off people. Sorry, I'll pay you 100 bucks to forgive me. I mean, maybe you could if you have weird <laughs> friends. But here's the thing. Character, health, relationships. Most importantly, spiritual lives. You can't buy that. You can't buy that. We can't buy the most important thing that we have in Christ, our salvation. Because the cost of our salvation was actually paid in full by Christ. And it wasn't with money. It was with blood. Look at what 1 Peter says. Knowing that you were ransomed from your feudal ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, so no money bought your salvation, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You see, Jesus bought us with his blood. He shed his blood to redeem us, to forgive us of our sins. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. When you start reading the Old Testament, you see these blood sacrifices in the Old Testament, and everybody's like, what's going on here? It was to show, it was to foreshadow the blood of Christ that his blood would be shed. Because you know what? When people sacrificed those lambs and went on the Day of Atonement and stuff, those were to show God they had this most valuable thing, a, a, a lamb without blemish or spot, and said, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I want to give you this. I want to sacrifice this. And that was all a foreshadowing of the fact that Christ would shed his blood for us. Well, why would he shed his blood for us? This shows us the serious degree of sin and how sin offends God. And only through the blood of Christ can we be redeemed, can we be forgiven of our sin. He shed his blood on our behalf for our sins. We can't buy our salvation. Christ bought it with his blood when he died on the cross. The scriptures say that when Christ died, he was buried. And then three days later, he rose from the grave to prove that he is God. And the scriptures teach us, all who believe will have eternal life. So you know what? Our response to that, our response to that is in 1 Corinthians. Paul says it this way. He says, for you were bought with a price. So what should we do? Glorify God in your body. Our response is to live and serve God, to live for his purposes, to bring glory to him. Money can't buy our salvation Money can't buy good character. Money has no power in the afterlife. But you know what? Christ bought us. And he says, glorify me with your life. So in a little while, we're going to learn how we do that with our money too, because part of our life is our wealth. So how do we glorify God with that? So next, wealth can deceive us. Proverbs 13, 7, one pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, 
yet has great wealth. Now, this is an interesting one. Okay, our culture has done a us a great favor in teaching us to live above our means. Have you ever noticed that? Our culture has done us a great favor of saying, you can have it for just a few bucks a month, right? For the rest of your life. So now what happens is through leveraging debt, we can have things that we want that we really can't afford. I still remember being a little kid and seeing like somebody with like a really nice car or something like that and be like, oh, that guy must be rich. And my mom would be like, or he has a lot of bills. <laughs> you know, and I'd be like, what? What are you talking about? Like I didn't understand the concept of people would give you something and then you could just pay them little by little forever, right? I didn't understand that concept. I didn't understand the concept of a loan or anything like that. So I just thought if somebody had something nice, they must be really wealthy. But our culture has done us a great favor of leveraging debt so we could have things that we want that we really can't afford. Like this proverb says, one pretends to be rich, but he really has nothing. So basically, you can pretend to be rich, look at my car, look at my house, look at my boat, look at all my cool stuff that I'm struggling every day to afford. It's this cycle, right, that people get into. I'm struggling, struggling, struggling. And now it's not only stuff, right? It's streaming services. I mean, if you looked at your budget and saw all the little things, oh, I need my music, I need my TV, I need this, I need that, I need this, I need that. All of a sudden, there's all these subscriptions. Crazy thing is, have you ever done this? This is the, this is the uh, kind of like a testimony, a negative testimony of our culture. Literally, I was on the Verizon app the other day. And I was like, oh, I wonder if I can get a free upgrade for my phone, stuff like that. So you put it in the cart, right? And just to see, and I'm like, no, I'm not getting a free upgrade. So I didn't do anything. Verizon called me and they're like, we noticed you have something in your cart. You want to buy it? And I'm like, I'm like, if I wanted to buy it, I would have clicked buy. You know what I mean? But that's how like connected they are to get you to what? Spend your money. So living this way, we deceive ourselves into thinking this is how we should live. And it also deceives us into this other thing. These things will make me happy. That's the real deception. These things will make me happy. And all of you here have been in these shoes before. You thought something was going to make you happy. You got it. And you're like, eh. <laughs> It's okay. It's, I'm not as happy as I thought I was going to be. Material things start to become idols in our lives because they bring status, they bring comfort, they make us feel important. But what's really interesting is the other side of this, this second half of this proverb, which can be equally as deceiving. Equally as deceiving. Living like you are poor, but actually having money. Okay? Why is this equally deceiving? Here's the deception in this. The security of having money in the bank and money invested becomes our idol. Let me say that again. The security of having money in the bank and money invested becomes our idol. I'm safe. I'm secure. I have everything. All my, my boxes are checked. Because now we feel that we, we can't use what God has blessed us with because if something happens, we're going to need it. Have you ever held on too tight? What if something happens? I can't use this for what God calls me to use it for because I might need it, right? 
or someday. I think there was a parable about a guy with some barns, remember? And then he tore down his barns, and what did he do? He build, built bigger barns. I think I preached something about that in the recent history, right? So here's the thing. God said, you fool, your life is going to be demanded of you this night. Now, I'm not advocating, and I don't think the Bible's advocating to go and just get rid of all your money right now because you might die tomorrow. But I think it becomes an idol to us when we start to hold on so much and we'll never let go because we are deceived in thinking, I'm going to be safe if I have this. So we're deceived into thinking, if I hold on to this money and live well below my means, I will be secure. This is a scarcity mentality. It's looking for security and having money and missing the joy of using the money for what God has blessed us to use it for. Let me say that again. Missing the joy of using the money for what God has blessed us to use it for, which we're going to get to, right? God desires us to do certain things with our wealth. But the next deception comes by way of how we gain wealth. Now, let's look at this proverb. It says, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase. Now, scams, get-rich-quick schemes, gambling, risky investments, money comes in very quickly and goes out very quickly, right, when, when, when you're involved in things like that. You know, a lot of times people, you know, they look and they say, well, you know, I know the equation is this. Like, I go to work, I get paid, I pay my bills, I do what God desires me to do with my money. But there's got to be an easier way. There's got to be a quicker way, right? There's got to be. So people look for these quicker ways, and they get involved in these scams, get-rich-quick schemes, maybe gambling, maybe risky investments. Some of you kind of remember just a few years ago, remember? that whole cryptocurrency thing, and I, now I know I'm going to offend somebody, but you know, that, that whole cryptocurrency thing, and literally, like, I know people that were like, I'm not cashing out till it's at this amount, and then all of a sudden it went, you know, and you know, people like me are like, I still don't get it anyway, so I'm going to stay away from that, right? So money comes and goes very quickly, but when we work and invest, and are wise, and we pray about our work and our earning, it tends to go up and to the right, little by little, slow and steady in a sense. But we can be deceived by alternate ways to get rich. Now, the next deception comes, and it says this. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. When you have wealth, sometimes you attract friends, right? And maybe you attract people that would otherwise not want to be your friend if you were poor, okay? If you didn't have wealth. So this is why successful people need to be careful and wise about who they let in their life because those people may seek to use them for their resources. They can be deceived in thinking they have certain relationships because of their status, and maybe some people gravitate towards the status. I mean, you've probably seen like documentaries and different things about famous people, and they're like, I never really knew who I could trust. It's like, yeah, because you're really wealthy, and they're looking to get something from you. So at times, when those resources are depleted, their friends desert them. 
So sometimes what we have deceives us into thinking that people are really close with us, are really in that close relationship that we desire, that we actually talked about last week, those friendship-type relationships. Now, finally, under things that wealth can do is wealth can cause us to get off focus. Proverbs 23, 4, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. Some people are workaholics. Right? This is like the good addiction, right? This is the admiral addiction. I work so hard. I work so much. I'm always working. They get addicted to seeing the money come in and it takes control. When that happens, they start to lose focus on what is important, their relationship with God, their personal spiritual life, their relationship with their family, their relationship with their friends, Yes, it's admirable that you work very hard and work all the time, but all of a sudden, everything else in your life is in shambles. Your relationship with God, people, you know, people say, I just don't have the time, I got to work, I can't serve. I just don't have the time, I got to work, I can't go to church. I just, I, 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 I don't have the time to get involved in a Bible study. I don't have the time to get connected because I got to work. And, you know, and we in America, right, we say, okay, you got to work, right? If you ever traveled around, talked to people from different countries and stuff, they have like mandatory like five-week vacation time in Europe. You know that? Mandatory five. How many of you get five weeks of paid vacation? Right. <laughs> so, and you're like thinking, what, what in the world, right? But we in America, right, cash is king and work is admirable. So we work and we work and we work and we work. It becomes kind of an idol because we see the money coming in, so we want to continue. The focus starts as a good focus. I work to provide, but then it becomes I work to sustain a certain type of lifestyle that I want to live, and because I have to work so much to support that lifestyle, my relationship with God suffers, my relationship with other people suffer, my relationship with my family suffers, everything in my life, even your health will suffer, right, if you work yourself. You've heard the term, work yourself to the bone. That's like talking about your health, right? This proverb teaches us to be discerning enough to stop, to desist, to stop the cycle. Okay, I'm supposed to work. I'm supposed to earn. But you know what? I'm going to back off a little bit. I'm going to tell my employer, I can't continue to do this overtime. I know the money's good, but I can't just continue to do this because I'm going to miss out on my kids growing up, I'm going to miss out on building into my own life and my relationship with the Lord, who's more important than any dollar amount. Amen. Another way that gets us off focus, this proverb, is greed. A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that the poverty that will come upon him. Greed causes us to make our focus the money that we have or the money that we can get. And then here's what happens. Other areas suffer. So here's how it works. Greed comes in and we start to become stingy. We start to hold on to everything. We don't want to give anything up. We don't want to give to anything else because we're greedy. Now, I don't think this proverb is talking about material poverty when it says he doesn't know the poverty that will come to him. I think it's actually talking about spiritual and relational poverty. 
Okay, I think it's talking about spiritual and relational poverty. Because poverty is not only poor, it's also the state of being inferior in quality or insufficient. So here's what happens. When you become a stingy person, when you become a greedy person, everything else suffers. Nobody really wants to be around you. They see how you are. They see the type of person you are. If our focus is taken over by money, we can become insufficient in our spiritual lives, meaning we're leaving out the things that God desires us to do. We can also become insufficient in our relationships. Now, all of a sudden, our whole focus is, I need this money, and then when I get this money, I need to hold on to it so that I'm safe in the future. Meanwhile, every relationship, including our relationship with God, starts to suffer because our focus becomes the dollar, right? Jesus said you can't serve God and what? Money, right? You can't serve God and money. One of them is going to be your master. Which one is it? Okay, money is used to serve God. Okay, money is not to be served. So we can also become insufficient in these relationships, leaving out what God desires because we have this strong desire. Our focus is all out of whack. So as I said in the beginning of the sermon, we're blessed with wealth because we live in this country. Now, knowing all these things that wealth can do, what should we do with our wealth? Or what should we do with our money that the Lord blesses us with? Well, first, let's look here. We should honor the Lord with our wealth. Proverbs 3 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Well, how do we honor the Lord? How do we honor him? Well, the first way we honor him is what it says here in this proverb with our first fruits. We give to the Lord. Most of you realize if you've been here for a while, you know, the church is called to be the light to the community to be the light with the gospel message to the community. And guess what? The church always needs resources to do those things. We've been beyond blessed. You look at the bottom line, you probably do. Like a lot of you take the bulletin, maybe just the, what, how much should we take in? Okay, if that's your focus, it's a little messed up. So here's the thing. Um, but the church needs resources, okay? And when we give to the work of the Lord, the church has resources to go and proclaim the message, to actually get out into the community and do what needs to be done. Okay, so when you give to the work of the Lord, when you give to the church, so to speak, you're really giving to the work of the Lord. So when it says first fruits, what it means is this. You give to the Lord first. That means when you make your budget, you give to the Lord first. I think I talked about this not too long ago. But when you sit down and make a budget, the first thing you do is say, how much do I desire to give to the Lord? And then you make your budget after that. Everybody seems to do it the opposite way. Let's make my budget based upon my bills, based upon the way I want to live, and then I'm going to give the remainder to the Lord. And most of you realize that there's usually not much remainder anymore. Historically, the church has been accused by unbelievers for only be interested in money. Have you heard that before? The church has been accused by unbelievers of only being interested in money. That's why when you come here, you'll notice we don't pass a plate. Because 12 years ago, we decided, you know what? We don't want anybody to ever feel compelled. The scriptures tell we shouldn't compel people to give. People should give cheerfully to the work of the Lord. They should desire to give to the work of the Lord. So we put boxes in the foyer and in the back wall. And we said, you know what? 
Giving is something that believers should do as an act of worship. You give as you're prospered. And guess what? Since the day that we made that decision, our budget has never been under any year for 12 years, which is a testimony to the fact that you all understand that you're supposed to give to the Lord. And the benefit for us now is when someone comes in and says, the church only cares about money, like, that's not true, okay? And here's how we're going to prove it to you. Here's how we're going to prove it to you. And if you're an unbeliever, if you don't believe in Jesus, don't give any money in that box, okay? Don't do that. Receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus. That's why we have you here. That's why we opened the doors this morning, because we want your soul to be saved, something money can't buy. The scriptures call believers to give to the Lord, and the truth is giving to the Lord is more for us to learn to trust him. Do you get this? The Lord doesn't need your money. Yeah, the church needs resources, but guess what? God always seems to come through. So if it's stuck in your pocket, God's not like, well, I could have did more, but, uh, you know, Tony over there didn't give enough, or Mike over there didn't give enough. No. God's like, okay, you know what? They're just being stubborn. They need to learn how to give. They need to learn how to give. So when we give, it's actually an act of us learning how to be generous, how to obey, how to trust, how to trust. So in view of the Lord's reputation in our community, we made those decisions, right? Because we don't want anybody to say, hey, the church only cares about money. So we made those decisions. For the believer, those of you that trust in Jesus, you need to realize and accept that God desires you to give of your first fruits. So like I said, when you sit down and make that budget, you decide. Between you and the Lord, you pray. This brings us to the next way we honor the Lord with our wealth, and that is we steward wisely. Now, the word steward is actually manage. Manage another person's property or possessions. So if you are stewarding the money that you have, you're actually managing whose money? God's money. It's not yours. I mean, I know you feel like it's yours. I know your bank account says your name on it. I know it's in your pocket. I know it's on your apps. I know. But here's the thing. What we actually have belongs to the Lord. And we're called to manage it. And that's not only money. That's our family. That's our possessions, right? Our kids. We're entrusted with these things, with these relationships. So we're called to manage. Now that you're making a budget, that's the first step to stewarding wisely. Because you're not just spending and then seeing what happens. You're giving a purpose to each dollar. Now, I will just say this to you. If you are struggling financially, you really need to spend some time making a budget. You really need to spend some time being purposeful about where your money goes. You really need to spend some time looking at each line item. Where am I putting this money? What is the purpose of each dollar? I want to warn you. Here's what happens when we start doing that. You might get caught up judging others and pointing at their expenditures. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but you see somebody make an expenditure and you're like, hmm, they probably shouldn't have done that. Have you ever done that before? 
now, <laughs> right? But sometimes we get caught up in judging others. When we start to financially get our ducks in order, so to speak, we might start to judge other people. Sometimes we look at other believers and judge what they buy. Rather than doing that, let's focus on our own expenditures and ask ourselves some critical questions before we actually make purchases about how we steward money. So here are some questions that you can ask yourself before you make any type of expenditure. One is, do I need this? Okay, Do I need this? What you don't have, you might not need it, right? Do I need this? Why am I buying this? You know, some people have this bad habit of like, I don't feel that great today, or I'm kind of bored. Let me go shopping, okay? That's something to do. I'm going to buy extra stuff. Can I get this for cheaper, okay? Have you ever done this, okay? Can I get this for a little bit cheaper? Is this conserving or wasteful? Okay. Is this conserving or wasteful? So, you know, sometimes in life, you know, you look at your utilities. You know what? Maybe you like to just walk around the house with a t-shirt on. Okay. But, you know, your heat bill says, put on a sweatshirt. Okay. So, you know, and I know some of you parents out there are like, hey, man, Pastor Mike, I want to tell my kid that. Yeah. But here's the thing. I mean, realistically, think about it. You got to think about all these things because every dollar, if it has a purpose, actually makes kind of a difference. Is this bringing glory to God? Is this expenditure bringing glory to God? Can this be used to help someone else? Can this be used to help someone else? Another question is, is this an investment? Hey, there's all these different things. I mean, uh, you can go on like DaveRamsey.com and like, you know, there's all these different financial things that you can like, you know, look at and learn from. But the whole purpose is, you know what? I need to steward what God blessed me with wisely. We can learn and condition ourselves to steward wisely. That's what happens. You learn and condition yourself to steward wisely. Personally, here's what happens. This is what happened in our lives when we were first married for the first five years. We were very purposeful about each dollar. And then we conditioned ourselves to live on a certain budget. So then we didn't have to be so, you know, specific because we conditioned ourselves like, okay, I really don't buy stuff that's not on sale. And if it's on sale, especially at ShopRite, okay, we stock up because we have three kids and they eat the same thing forever, right? So here's the thing. You condition yourself to actually steward wisely. You actually become the person that looks at things and says, you know what, I'm not going to spend money on that, or I'm going to live like this, or I can find it cheaper, or I can conserve rather than being wasteful, or you know what, I want to bring glory to God with how I use my money so that I can pass that on to the next generation, so that I can teach my kids that, so that I can help them. Because guess what? Money can be a huge problem for people. It can help end marriages, okay? It could put people in really tough situations when they're in a lot of debt. It can actually cause people to do illegal things. And I'm not saying robbing banks, but I'm saying being shady with how you deal with other people. So when I teach my children to steward wisely, I'm actually helping them in their spiritual lives. 
Now, the final way we honor the Lord with our wealth is this. Be generous. Okay? Now, this is different than giving to the Lord. Do you realize that? We're commanded to give to the Lord. We're supposed to give to the Lord. We're supposed to be generous to the work of the Lord. But being generous is a little different than, than following the command of giving to the Lord. Okay? This is, I have been blessed, and I want to share my blessings. Now, we all know how it feels when someone's generous to us, right? It feels good. When somebody's generous to us, it feels good. You're just like, that was so nice of them. But those of you that are generous also realize it feels so good to be generous too. Have you noticed that? It feels so good to let go of something and make someone else happy. All of you realize this when you cross that bridge in your life from being a kid to having kids, right? And Christmas, you, know, you probably all remember this. Sitting around when you're a kid at Christmas and your parents get, getting like nothing and you think, oh, Christmas stinks for them but they were happy to be giving you something. So now, as an adult, you're like, you know what? I love being generous. I want to be generous. Well, you're not going to be able to be generous if you don't steward wisely, because you're not going to have anything left to be generous with. So you might be asking, who can I be generous with? Well, I would say, look for ways in everyday life. Look for ways in everyday life. Here's an idea for you this Christmas season. We're helping out Lacey Food Bank kids. There's the thing on the foyer table. You can take a picture. And you can bless kids for Christmas, right? If you have kids, you can say, hey, kids, let's look at this list. What would you want us to buy for some other kids? What would you like? And then let's give it to some other kid. It's a great object lesson for your children to say, hey, you know what? I want some other kids to be happy around Christmas. Christmas uh, Christian ministries. Maybe if you follow any Christian ministries, you know, especially around the world, now about this time of year, you start getting emails, right? End of the year gifts. And some of you look and be like, ah, oh, they're looking for more money. Or some of you look and say, hey, it's the end of the year. How can I bless this ministry? How can I continue their work with the Lord, for the Lord in their region and where they're serving. Instead of saying, you know, I got to hold on because there's going to be a lot of Christmas bills, maybe you can say to your family, hey, you know what? We're going to pare back a little this year because we want to be generous for the cause of Christ. About this, you all go out to eat, right? Imagine tipping your server a little bit more than the average tip. Imagine that. And then imagine you did that Christmas Eve comes, you walk into church, they walk into church and look at you and say, wow, there's that nice, generous person that tipped me really well the other day when I was out to dinner. So look for opportunities to be generous to other people. You know, wealth is a resource. We have to honor the Lord with it. And when we do that, we're using our wealth to serve the Lord rather than serving our wealth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful, Lord, that you've blessed us to live in this wealthy country. And even though we might not feel wealthy, by comparison, we have so much when it comes to money and resources. So we pray, Lord, that we would honor you with that wealth, that we would first and foremost give to your work so that we can get the message 
out to the people, that we would steward wisely, that each dollar that comes in to the accounts that you've blessed us with, that we would put those, we would steward that, those dollars to your glory, and that we would be generous, that we would be known for our generosity, that people, when they see us, they would see the generosity, and then we would be able to explain to them why we've chosen to be generous, because you've been generous with us and gave up your son Jesus for us. In his name we pray.